This is an SBC Media Partners production. Swung on, hit high and deep. Right field. Good 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 it is Phillies fans, these are your glove stories with Murph. Let's check in with Greg Murphy. Murphy, you got a special guest, huh? Hi, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Glove Stories with Murph, brought to you by the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, Shy Vintage Sports, and the great folks at Phillies Nation as well. Happy to have you with us uh, this week, and really happy to have This week's guest, uh, most Phillies fans will remember him from the terrific run in 1993 and then the years that he spent with the team afterwards. But uh, what a career this man had in Major League Baseball. And that's what we are here to talk about today. He's got some glove stories, folks, and uh, he's going to share them with us uh, this afternoon. Uh, We welcome in Jim Eisenreich to the program. Jim, good to see you. It's been a couple of months since I've seen you, but uh, you're looking good. Doing well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good. Well, thank you so much for being here. And uh, I'm really excited about our conversation today. Uh, The, you know, when I look back, uh, just doing some extra research and and looking back at the career, um, it really is a remarkable one, a long one, spent 15 seasons, parts of 15 seasons in the big leagues. And, um, you know, you look back at some of the numbers and what you were able to accomplish. It really, really, Remarkable, something to be proud of, and I'm, I know you are. Um, when it all got started, way back, uh, you know, as a as a child, was baseball always your sport? Did did you branch out to other things, or was, were you concentrating on baseball from a young age? Yeah, I was not concentrating on baseball. Played um, pretty much everything. You know, my family was, I'd call them a sports family. My my mom and dad loved sports. My dad. I guess kind of lived and died by sports. Grew up in, you know, St. Cloud, Minnesota. And so we were Twins fans, Viking fans. Um, and the hockey team was the North Stars, you know. Right, sure. Different now. But so, yeah, we were fans. And and I played everything, whatever was in season. Summer you know, in baseball, hockey yeah. in the winter, and whatever else, you know. And and did you excel? Uh, I mean, I know you were a good athlete. Obviously, you were a good athlete. But were were you a guy that kind of crossed over and could really, um, you know, play well in all of the, all those sports? I, I did pretty well, yes. And and honestly, hockey was probably my most favorite as a young kid. Sure, Minnesota, um, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's yeah. I'm not very tall. Couldn't shoot a bucket, so I didn't play basketball. But I love I loved, loved playing sports, and and I did pretty well. When when did the the focus begin to change? Was it was it high school that you had to start to focus in, or maybe not even then? Because I know um, early in your high school career, good player, but maybe not on anyone's radar, right? That's that's correct. And 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 I'm old, so back in the day, <laughs> you know, um, uh, we were encouraged to play everything, and yeah. so you know the the baseball coach was excited for the hockey season to end, but he was also hoping we'd go as far as we could and then, and vice versa. So we all played everything um, and it was okay. Uh, for me personally, um, like I said, I loved both. I loved hockey a lot. I was a, a good hockey player. Um, I actually had a couple, of, a few more offers to play college hockey than I did baseball. How about that? Um, and so, but as it turned out, I went to college to play baseball, you know, to go to school first. And baseball was kind of the extracurricular activity. Um, hockey, I, I know I can only do one because I actually was focused on school, mm-hmm. you know, which <laughs> kids don't do now, but, you know, that's fine. Um, I did. And so to answer your question, the time uh, that I realized baseball was my thing was really not till my late sophomore, junior year in college. Wow. Wow. Yeah. How about so, that? Yeah. You know, obviously, as you point out, times have changed. I'm I'm more your generation than I am, obviously, the current generation. <laughs> and we all, you know, we played everything as well. But uh, that has changed. Uh, the very few guys that are going to be major league ball players uh, are figuring it out their junior year of college. But, right. uh, well, that's the, that's the way it is. When was the last time you strapped on the skates? You know, I, I skate pretty much every winter once wow. or twice. Yeah. So. Okay. And I actually did not do it this winter. COVID's kind of messed things up for a lot of things. Um, but I, I do regularly skate um, when I can. 
Okay. All right. Good yeah. exercise. Keep you in shape. You still got it. I'm sure. I'm sure you still have I it. I just like to be on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, you grew up in St. Cloud. You went to high school, obviously in St. Cloud. You also went to college in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Um, by choice, was that exactly you want to stay close to home? Was that the idea behind it? You know, um, I, I, I guess in some ways, yes, but um, the way my uh, senior, junior and senior seasons of baseball, high school and American Legion ball is what I played. Uh, we were really good in American Legion ball, won a couple of state tournaments, and and I was a high school all-star in the state of Minnesota, and I really wanted to go to the University of Minnesota. That's where that's where you went. Yeah. Um, and so I actually enrolled, you know, early in this in the summer of my senior year of high school. So I enrolled, but I never went. I oh. didn't have, I didn't take the next step. And so I just went, I stayed home and, um, you know, I, school is going to be the most important thing. You know, I think my, my mind and my dreams and, you know, my, <laughs> whatever I, I was feeling, I felt I need to go to Minnesota and I had no offer. I'd have been a walk on right. if that was even possible. I thought, well, I don't know if that's even realistic. So I stayed home and went to St. Cloud. Well, it turned out to, to be a decision that would uh, work in your favor. Can you tell the story? Um, and I, I read a little bit about it, but uh, you're playing and you're obviously playing well. Um, I think you had a teammate that was also being looked at as a mm -hmm. uh, possible draft pick. And uh, your coach at the time wrote a letter to the Twins uh, was it thanking him for, for, for something? And then said, Oh, by the way, I got this kid, Jim Eisenreich that you might want to take a look at as well. Is that how it played out basically? Yeah. In, in some ways. Yes. Um, our coach had connections to a lot of the area scouts. Um, and of course, twins being, you know, close was a, a natural connection, but um, yeah, my, my teammate, I was a junior. My teammate was a senior, Bob Hegman. He was a shortstop. Okay all all everything he was actually a college basketball player too and a really good player um and so we were teammates roommates and uh we we were getting noticed by scouts so the end of the of the college season we have our our conference tournament um up way up in Bemidji Minnesota you know way up there <laughs> <laughs> it was and we happened to win the tournament you know, we so we were going to advance to the next level, which was a regional type uh, college tournament. And after the championship game, the twin scout actually came up to my my buddy, Bob, mm -hmm. and asked him, which is what they did in those days. Would you be interested in playing professional baseball? And of course, Bob's a senior. You know, he was graduating. Uh, yes, that's a pretty easy question to answer. And so then he asked. What about your teammate Eisenreich? He's only a junior. Would he be interested? And my my buddy Bob's kind of pretty quick-witted. You know, it's like, well, you know what? He's standing right over there. Go <laughs> ask him. He'll answer you. <laughs> and so he did. The scout wow. came and asked me the same question. Um, and your answer and was? It was the simplest answer I ever gave. Yes, sir. When? <laughs> you know, and so, and I didn't know anything then. That was uh, the very end of May. And the June draft wasn't until June 7th was the day. Okay. Um, not that I remember that day exactly, but maybe I do remember it pretty <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, um, we had two weeks to wait, and and we actually both got drafted. So, How about that? Yeah. So, so you brought it up, so let me ask you, uh, draft day. Um, obviously, a day you remember for your entire life. It. It's not like it is nowadays. Not on. It wasn't on television back then. It wasn't. Uh, you weren't streaming it on your phone. You weren't getting text messages and updates. How did you eventually find out? Because uh, what sixteenth round? Do I have that right? Sixteenth, eighteenth. Right. Yeah, sixteenth round. Um. And so, how did you find out? What was that like? So you know, we had the old typical home phone, yep. phone on the wall. <laughs> um, the phone rings and my mom answers the phone. She says, I, she hollers at me wherever I was at, and it's for you. It's somebody from the Twin Cities, okay? You know, and, and I wasn't really thinking, you know, the draft, but right. um, I knew it was possible. And so I get on the phone, and he says he's a reporter from the Minneapolis Star and Tribune paper. And I, I, I recognize the name, but then I go, okay, I don't know if it's really him. 
it could be one of my college teammates yes. pulling a prank on me, you know? <laughs> and so, but after talking to him for a while, um, you know, he told me I was drafted by the twins and, you know, asked him all the questions and blah, blah, blah. And so um, I realized, wow, you know, I, I'm drafted. <laughs> and so that. I got off the phone and um, actually before I got off, I asked him, I said, what about um, Bob Hegman, my college teammate? Did, did anybody get him? And he said, believe it or not, the Kansas City Royals selected him earlier in the 16th round. Oh, wow. And so I, you know, and so, okay, um, Bob hadn't called me at all. So I didn't, you know, we were going to, you know, be in connection and communicate, let each other know what's going on. And so I got off the phone. My mom said, you know what, you need to go tell your dad who was in the garden. Dad was in the garden, but a big vegetable garden. And he, he wasn't in the best of health then. But I, I walked out and I, I, I said, hey, dad, um, I just got drafted by the twins. My dad's eyes lit up. It's like a, a new life had just hit. And I always make a joke about him setting the standing long jump record. He came out, <laughs> give me a big hug. And, and that was a big deal. You know, it was um, yeah. it wasn't like I was drafted. It was like we were drafted. My dad and I. And that was that's how it was, you know. And so anyway, um, went back in, called my my buddy Bob and told him, you know, that I had been drafted by the twins in the 16th round. And, and I said, I asked him if he heard anything. And of course he said, well, no, I haven't, you know, and I didn't, I didn't spill the gun, you know, I didn't say right. anything. So I, uh, I let it go. And so uh, later that evening, he called me, he, he said, man, I haven't heard. I, I, I guess I haven't heard. Next morning he calls me and said, yeah, I got drafted by the, by the Royals in the 16th round. And I told him, I said, yeah, I knew that you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> anyway, so we were, um, he kind of won up me because he was drafted earlier in the round. Uh, well, you know, he had a year on you. That's all. That, that's the only reason. So, yeah. <laughs> that's it's awesome. And and the, the story uh, with the connection with your father is is awesome to to listen to. It gave me chills. Um, it it had to be so. So you you're in high school in Minnesota. You're uh, college in Minnesota, and then you get drafted by the the local team, your team, the team you grew up mm -hmm. rooting for. Um, even even more surreal at that point do you think you'd say to yourself my goodness you know I'm gonna be a professional ball player I might not have to leave the state that I that I grew up in yeah that that is somewhat how it is but um I knew I had to go somewhere to play in in the minor leagues yeah um but until I actually signed a contract I wasn't I would didn't know um but you know I I guess I was so focused on playing for the moment I wasn't even looking like kids now. They they know exactly where the next level is. Yeah. They they know their timeline, and I I wasn't that smart. I you know I was playing for now and enjoying the time, and and uh, but I suppose deep down I did know that you know that's Minneapolis is a an hour south of us, and it's right there. You know, it's yeah. like how cool would that be? You know, so. Yeah. But I would imagine also a little daunting because you really hadn't been away from home all that much. Um, and you were going to now be out on your own mm -hmm. at age, what, tw 20 years old, probably. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and being sent to the minor leagues and, and on your own for the first time. Do you remember that as a period of time in your life that you enjoyed, or was it a little overwhelming? You know, I, I actually enjoyed it. Now it was culture shock. Yeah. <laughs> it bet. was definitely culture shock. Central Minnesota to Elizabethton, Tennessee. Now it's not Elizabeth Elizabethan, it's Elizabethan. And the locals will tell you that's how you pronounce it. You know, this and and I make a joke, but it's like the hillbilly country. Yeah. You know, it's just what it is. And we live with a family, um, an, another uh draftee from the twins. We lived with families. It was a unique experience. Um, but at the same time, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now I was only gone for two and a half months. Right. And and I was a little homesick, but I was playing ball. And that was always the thing that kind of it was OK. It didn't matter where I went. If I was playing ball, I was fine. You, were you know, good. and it was so it was a good experience for me.
you know, and, and again, the connection nowadays, text messages and, and iPhones <laughs> and FaceTime, it makes it a lot easier. But you guys didn't have that. Again, it was wall to wall phone uh, and probably once a week because it was a long distance call and it was expensive. So it's not like you could connect with family back home uh, if you were feeling down. You just had to kind of had to push through and and probably rely on your teammates and your coaches at that point. Right. That, that's correct. Now, we did have a little plan. Now, first of all, because I, I knew I was going to do my own laundry, I had my mom. Okay, how do I do this? You know, whites are here, whites are warm, cold, you know, colors are whatever. I learned how to do laundry. And then my dad said, you know, call every Sunday night because we had Sunday day games. Sure. So call Sunday night and call collect. So I used the, the family's phone. I you know, this is my time. Can I call and use, you know, his phone? Yeah. I said, you know, call collect. They accepted it. I talked to my mom and dad for 15, 20 minutes and it was all good. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So, so and, and you did not, you didn't spend a lot of time in the minor leagues. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll talk to guys that, that toil in the minor leagues for seven, eight, nine years before they get their chance in the big leagues. That was not the case for you. The twins were a, a youth movement and you were a part of that, a quick mover through the system. And uh, next thing you know, you debut in 1990 or 1982 uh, in Minnesota. And, and if I, do I have this right? You have the first ever at bat at the Metrodome. Is that correct? As a home, as a home yeah. uh, player. Yes. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty cool distinction. I didn't know it's, that. It's, <laughs> it's pretty neat. Yes. Yeah. Pretty neat. I so, actually got the very first twins hit too. Uh, there you that go. was actually in an exhibition game. Okay. All right. That I can yeah. tell you a little. <laughs> that, uh, that, I, I love that kind of stuff, but what do you remember about the debut? Obviously, you're again young guy, 22 years old. I think you were when you debuted, and um, I, I got to believe there's nerves and the family is is in the ballpark. I'm thinking. And uh, what do you remember about that day? I, I I vividly remember all 35 of my family that I had left tickets for. <laughs> you know, the place was packed. Now the, we did play two exhibition games. A couple nights before it, and mm. we played the Phillies. Okay. So, interesting. So, the actual, the metro, this is the opening of the Metrodome. The very first, you know, so I became the starting center fielder, the leadoff hitter in the very first games of the Metrodome. Now, they, they always have a, a joke for my friends and the trivia thing is like, I got the very first twins hit, but who got the very first hit in the Metrodome? 82 for the would it have been the Phillies? Yeah, number 14. Oh, there you go, Pete Rose. There it is. <laughs> How about that? Get off hitter, based it up the middle. Yeah. There, you know, and that's <laughs> so anyway, to opening day, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. You know, it's um yeah, it introduced. I'm the starting center fielder. So we come in and and we're playing the Seattle Mariners. Um Floyd Bannister is the pitcher for the Mariners. And I, I remember, you know, I was, I was over four, Yeah, yeah, well, yeah <laughs> you know, yeah. and so I just, that's what I remember. You know, we lost the game, uh, came back the next night and uh, I got my first major league hit. Uh, never free. It was kind of a tipped off the second baseman's gloves into the right field. Like, did I did I hear you right? You said line drive into the gap. Is that what you that's, said? That's what it looked like in the book. But <laughs> exactly. You know, right. Murph, I'm being honest with you. <laughs> take them any way you can get them. It right? looked the same exactly. That, that's one thing that hasn't changed in the game. We'll take them any way they can get them. Um, so a young team uh, in Minnesota at the time, which I would imagine made things maybe a little bit easier as you uh, you know integrate mm -hmm. into the big leagues. But um, it's quite quite the change in lifestyle. Uh, as you hit the major leagues and you begin your career uh, and for you added challenges because mm -hmm. soon after is when you started again to have your, your health issues with the Tourette syndrome. But at the time they didn't know what it was. You were getting misdiagnosed and, uh, and it became over the next couple of seasons, a, a very difficult time in your life. I'm, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that's probably true. Right. It, it was, it was very difficult, but I, I look back and, you know, even the college story um, going to St. Cloud versus the University of Minnesota. Um, when I went to Elizabethan, I was always in the right place at the right time. 
You know, there was a plan for for what I was doing. And and even though that was very difficult, you know, not really knowing, um, I could never, and I never really knew how to convince the twins medical people that I've been doing these ticks and things since I was six or seven years old. Right. You know, they couldn't go back to my my childhood elementary second grade, you know, Catholic school with the nuns. You know, uh, they did. I couldn't tell them what I did. I didn't know how to. It didn't resonate. They thought, okay, it's a new young kid, you know, um, pretty sheltered. You know, he's in the big limelight now and and stage fright. It's like, well, that was the only relief I ever got was playing playing the sport. And right. now I'm starting to think about, okay, now it's bothering me. You know, I can still play. But it's bothering me to the point where I didn't really want to play, and it was hurting, you know. Yeah. So mentally and physically, it was it was a mess for me for a couple of years. But right. like I said, I was in the right place at the right time, and I had access to the probably some of the best medical people in the world, being part of a major league team. And and yet it still took uh, some time. You you knew you knew what it wasn't, but you didn't really know what it was there for uh a couple of seasons correct i mean it, it, it wasn't until what after 85 that you really got uh the diagnosis of okay here's what this is and here's how we can treat it that allowed you to come back to the game that you love and actually enjoy the game again because when you stepped away i i read a quote that you said it just it just wasn't worth it anymore it wasn't enjoyable for you because i guess you were spending so much time focused in on what wasn't working correct right. that that's absolutely correct and and part part of it too the it's such a misdiagnosed misunderstood but in nature it's a physical problem but because of that it weighs it mentally it drives you crazy you know sure. it's not like a slump going over 30 that's bad enough but this was something where you just couldn't even get up in the morning and feel like so mentally you become a wreck you know mm-hmm. um and that's how i was so once I got the diagnosis and realized what it was, realized that I wasn't the only one and there is help, it started to kind of lift the weight off my shoulders about that. And, and once I started to get the physical help, well, then I had to work on, on myself, you know, accepting that's what it was, learning how to use that and still play or whatever I was going to do. Um, that's where I, I did make the comments that it's not worth playing to feel miserable. You know, and so, you know, I, I eventually got there. And when I came back to the to the Royals in 87, I wasn't expecting any any. Um, I really wasn't expecting anything to move forward. I was just I wanted the chance to try. And that's what I got. And I make a joke about I didn't bargain for another 12 years, <laughs> but, you know, which is which is what part of what makes your story remarkable uh just to put it in perspective two full seasons that you didn't play in the big leagues uh mm-hmm. and just before we move move on from the topic what were you doing at that point odd jobs and just and hanging around i know you i know you kept your your bat in the sport at a at a lower level but uh mm-hmm. but certainly not professional ball Right. I went back to school as I, I was a drafted after my junior year. So yeah. I had some credits to take care of yet. And I, I went and did that. I did take some odd jobs. And, you know, I had a, a builder friend who who I helped um, paint houses for him. I uh, just did things like that. And I like you said, I did keep in shape by playing um, like slow pitch softball a couple nights a week. And then I had amateur baseball on the weekends. And Amateur baseball in Minnesota is a big deal. It still kind of is. And so that's what I did, you know, and, and it was it was there just to have exercise, to have fun, you know, and, and just to get a relief from all the stuff that had happened. So um, that's kind of what I did, you know. Well, then Kansas <laughs> City comes a calling. And uh, at that point, you had been, uh, you know, had kind of figured out uh, the the Tourette syndrome, and 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 were were able to give it another shot. What what was that like? Because Major League Baseball debut, twenty two year old, that happens often, right? And and you mm-hmm. and most of you have the same kind of experience, the nerves, the this. 
but but a comeback and, and and maybe that's the wrong word but to come back and then after two years of absence in the big leagues and say to yourself i can i can do this and i can do it at a high level um what was that like for you well first of all it was right place at right time again you know that fall of 86 my second full year out of baseball um my buddy bob from college had played his seven years in the minor leagues wow. and he wasn't he made one call got one call up to the royals big league team 85 played third base for one inning did not get a ball never batted and after four days was sent back to triple a wow. so being who he was he knew after that season he was not going to make it and so he became part of the Royals front office. Well, in the fall of 86, he called me, he checking in, see how I'm doing. And one thing led to another. He, he um, kind of figured out I'd like to try again. And he, so he made the arrangements for me to have a chance to play. And so we had to go through a few steps to make that happen. But there I was in, in the Royals uh, spring training clubhouse in 87 and um I, I didn't, like I said, I had no expectations other than to give it my best. If I didn't make it, I was fine. At least I tried. If I never would have tried or taken an opportunity, that would have driven me nuts. And I don't, you know, and so, and that's where my, I didn't bargain for another 12 years. But yeah, um, I, I, so I, I went into it just, you know, going to do the best I can, have fun playing again. And whatever happens, happens. And that's so kind of was my attitude. It sounds to me like no doubts, right? You, you thought, okay, you know, why not? It's right there in front of me. Uh, I've done it before, and uh, I can I can do it again. I mean, but, you know, you're 28 years old at this point, too. I'm mm -hmm. still, still young and in your prime, but um, what was there any part of you that said, well, I don't know if this is a good idea? <laughs> not really, no, because I didn't have the expectation. You know, baseball is funny, you know, you um, – you can attribute baseball, the, the batting part of it to life. You know, you, you're, if you're three out of 10, you're good, Yeah. you know, well, and, <laughs> but you, but each time you strike out, you got to turn the page and go to the next one. And each time you get a hit or hit a home run, you got to turn the page too, because it's, it's done, you know, and, and I was good at that. You know, okay. I, I was, I remember being in the Phillies clubhouse in 93 where I didn't even play a game and after the game we lost, the reporters would come up. I don't know if you were one of them, Could have <laughs> but been. they would just ask. They'd ask me because I was the one who would talk to them. And they'd say, well, you know, they talk about the, ask about the game. And I would just say, well, we didn't do this. They said, yeah, but you didn't play today. Yeah, but I'm on the team. This is what I did. And they got used to that. And so I never, you know, we have to turn the page. I wasn't, I never would throw anyone under the bus. We just didn't do that. Right. You know? That was for, for us to know and didn't matter what, you know, your profession. <laughs> hey, I get know, it. <laughs> so. And so it, but that's how I, that's how I treated it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. a, a bad day doesn't mean the next day is going to be bad or, or, the, or good or whatever it is. So that's how I looked at it. So my expectations were to do the best I could in every, every day that I played. Well, you, you certainly did that. You come back, uh, you play six seasons in Kansas City, and uh, each season um, seemed to get better and better for you. Uh, obviously, you were a just a, a blessed hitter, uh, a guy that uh, that just was able to, to consistently uh, be a, a great hitter. And then uh, for us here in Philadelphia, 1993 arrives and you come over as a free agent. And I've talked to so many of your teammates over the years about uh, just what it was like to be part of that 1993 team. I don't know that anybody had an idea coming into spring training, just what it would be like, but you're a veteran player at this point. You've had success in the big leagues. It'll be your first time in the national league. Um, uh, is that true? Yes. The first mm -hmm. time in, yep. in the national yep. league. Yeah. Um, but, uh, what was that experience like? Because that was a, a pretty crazy clubhouse right from get right from the get go. It, it was. And, and I was, I was 34 years old. So when I was leaving the Royals, I, you know, the time could be up, you know, I didn't know, sure. um, in the off season, the Phillies were the only one to offer a big league contract. I had an offer from the Braves to 
to come to spring training, but then probably play in AAA. Right. And, you know, I was married at the time, you know, and we had a, a young daughter and son. And it's like, you know, let's go to Philly because anyway, so we get to Philly and and meet all the all the guys, you know, <laughs> Johnny and Darren and Dave Hollins. And, you know, they're, they're all there. Um, and they made me feel welcome pretty much right away just by being their goofy selves, you know, and I, I, I didn't know this then, but 92 was not a good year for the Phillies. No, it was it not. Was a, and, and that's what everybody expected. I remember seeing a video of Mariano Duncan and um, might've been Mickey in the dugout or Ricky Jordan, maybe. And they're saying, you know, they expect us to be another last place team, but I think we need another one of these. And Mariano points to his ring on the finger, you know, from his world series, I think with the yeah. red. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we didn't know it, but I just spring training went like unbelievably good. I remember coming into clubhouse after about the two weeks and Larry Anderson, and just another lousy one run win, you know, and it's kind of, we just won every game, you know, it seemed great. And, and then the season started, of course, and then, you know, we never looked back and, but we never assumed anything. Right. The guys were, it was, it's the neatest bunch of guys you could ever be around in a, a sports team. I always wished my kids and my kids kind of know some of the guys, um, at least my older ones. And I wish, wish their teams could have had the camaraderie that we did. There's, yeah. you know, <laughs> we I, had I, jokes I, about guys wanting to come with us just because they knew what we were like. Yeah, that that uh, that group in 93, that one year. And then I know a lot of the guys were here in 94, mm-hmm. 95. And um, but that that particular season, uh, it's it's why we still talk about it today here in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. It was one of the most I was a senior. Or I had just graduated college and was just getting into the business. Mm-hmm. And I was covering that team as an intern and just the magical uh, run in the city of Philadelphia. Um, it. it it was like nothing we had experienced, certainly nothing I had experienced in my life um, because the team had not been good for so long. And I think that's, uh, you know, part of it was the way you guys played. Part of it was the way you were perceived, but part of it was just the way you took so seriously the game, the importance of what was happening from the first inning to the ninth inning each and every night. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've talked again to your teammates about it, but, uh, was that unique in 93? Had you experienced anything like that in the big leagues before? No, no. I, I came from the Royals where that was a very successful team. You know, yeah. George Brett and Willie Wilson and Frank White and Brett Saberhagen and Mark Gugazal and Dan Quisenberry. And these guys were really good, but it, was a, it wasn't the same clubhouse. You know, Bo Jackson was was a yeah, teammate absolutely. you know all these guys were they're great guys i i see a lot of them still today because i live here mm-hmm. um but it was a different clubhouse you know there is it almost seemed like um there was the hierarchy of of george and frank white and willie wilson and then rest of the guys were there but and, and that's no reflection on those because Frank White's one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. George was one of the best teammates. And, you know, George has George is like Mike Schmidt. Yeah. But he's here in Kansas City. They're the same guy, yep. you know, but Good but friends. different, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but the clubhouse there was different than when I got to Philly. And I don't know how to explain it, but the Philly clubhouse was like you could take a bunch of guys from downtown Philly, put him in the clubhouse and you couldn't tell the difference between anybody. Yeah. And, and I, and I know Aaron gets a lot of credit for that as he should. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but certainly some of the other guys you mentioned, John and Larry that, that uh, consistently kept it light, uh, you know, Milt and wet, you know, you could go through the entire roster. It, it just worked. And mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're going through this, this magical season, it started off terrifically. You guys put the pedal to the metal and you really never looked back. What do you have a, a favorite moment or memory that, that uh, during that season that you say to yourself, you know, 
that's kind of when I knew that this, that this was something special. Can you put your finger on anything like that? You know, we always talk about Mariano's Grand Slam on Mother's Day. <laughs> that was awesome. You know, I mean, it, you know, just it, it, uh, as bad as everybody talked about Veterans Stadium, when there were 40 to 60,000 people there, it's as, it's as electric as, and really cool as you could ever imagine. Yep. And that's what I just never forget, you know? Um, Every time I go back and look at the videos, I get chills, you know, watch. And yeah. so that was a big deal. Um, I just, I, I remember having the stadium filled. Like, I don't know what the, we went into September and every home date averaged like 40,000 people until we got to late September where then school started. So we, we were not quite 30 or so, you know, it was crazy. Right. And then the, playoffs came and it was just but it was um that mariano's home run was a big deal yeah there, there was the the two nights we played or the the, the double header that lasted into the morning the i mean game yep yep it yeah, was it was stupidly fun it. yeah yeah <laughs> and there are and there are so many of those those particular like singular moments during that season yeah. that here we are what 20 30 years late 30 years later believe it or yeah. not I, and we're still talking about it and that's yeah. what that's what makes it so special um obviously you don't win the world series but uh it, I, I think it i mean it certainly matters but uh in the grand scheme of things you guys in 93 will always be beloved uh for what you did for this city that season win or lose and um and that's why when you guys come back and uh you do often which is great i, I know you're still close mm -hmm. with so many of your teammates um it, it it's just uh, it just starts all over again it's like home week all all over again when you guys mm -hmm. get together is it not yeah it for sure is yeah yeah yep then you get the so you, so you spend a couple more years in philadelphia uh, and, and good years really good mm -hmm. years if you look back at the numbers some of the best years of your career and then mm -hmm. that gave you one more opportunity uh to, to play in a World Series because you head to Florida in 97. You get reuni mm -hmm. reunited with Darren Dalton. You're one of the few guys that played with Dutch on two different teams. Um, mm -hmm. And you get reunited and you guys do what, I don't know. I, I think back then, no one thought was going to be possible. The you know, here's this expansion team that uh, is, is still very young. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, they've put together a team and you guys are in the World Series. What do you remember best about that season? Well, um, we actually talk about 30 years of the Phillies. We just had our 25 year anniversary of the Marlins World Series two weeks ago. Oh, awesome. So I was in Miami and Jim Leland, and that's that's kind of says it right there. I had I had two gyms and you know, being a gym myself, <laughs> I mean they were the best, you know, and and we just had uh a group of guys that were really good players. I wouldn't say we were close like our my Philly group. Um, but we, we had the right mix. We had the right coaches and, uh, you know, we, we played well at the right time. Now we were, we were lucky in some ways because that, that was the first year of the wild card. Yeah, right. Yeah. So we were the wild card team. You know, we, we were not, um, we were not going to win the division. The Braves had a handle on that. And so we, we were lucky in that respect. And so, um, but at the same time, you know, you mentioned Darren. And when Darren came over, I think he kind of ignited us a little bit and kind of showed what we had and what what we really should have been. And you know, it, it does take luck, but we had some good players and and we we ran through it and and ended up with with the ring. With the ring. Hey, do me a favor. Tell me tell the story because you've told me this story before. But mm -hmm. tell the story about when Darren came to Florida um, mm -hmm. and he was watching. I, I, I think I don't want to I won't tell the story. He'd been there a couple of days and decided to say, hey, guys, let's huddle up. I got something to say. Yeah, well, we were in Cincinnati and I always tell the story. If you remember old Riverfront Stadium from the dugout to the, to the clubhouse is a long walk and it's kind of a grungy little hallway. <laughs> and so the Darren got there and it, it wasn't the 31st of July. It was a few days before um, that he, he came over and he met us in, in Cincinnati. 
So the first game he's there, we lose the game kind of stupidly and, and come back to the, the next day and do the same thing. And so after that second game, um, the game's over and everybody's getting ready to go to the clubhouse. Darren says, no, wait, can I have her say a few words here? And he had all the coaches, the bat boys and all the people in the dugout just go up to the clubhouse and just the players. And he said, I've only been here for a couple of days and you act like you're a bleeping, bleeping country club. Like you don't even care. You're better than that. And that's all he said. We went up, you know, and, and if you think about the guys we had on the team, it's like, yeah, okay, you know, whatever. Daddy's giving us a spanking <laughs> or right. something. You know, it's like, okay, whatever. And so the next day, Darren was the first baseman, and his first at bat, he hits a broken bat little blooper over the first baseman's head and turns it into a double. You know, Darren's knees were bad. And so that to me, and guys mentioned it two weeks ago too, that when he got to second, the guys believe that what he said the night before, even though it only took about 10 seconds or 15 seconds to say it, he, he meant what he said and he was going to do what he said to himself. And yeah. so that's when we, we turned the season over right there. We started interleague play, which meant we we're not going to play the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Orioles um, um, in between the Braves. And, and we won at least three out of four of every one of those series in the first part of August and put us back in to contention to get into the playoffs. And even though we were a wild card, it, you know, it, um, it got us in. Got it. That got was a big in. deal. Get you in the tournament, and then, uh, and next thing you know, yeah. you're wearing the ring. Uh, I love that story. Uh, it's, it says a lot about Dutch, but it also says a lot about the guys on that Marlins team that were willing to kind of take a step back and look in the mirror and say, okay, maybe he's right. He's been here 48 hours, but maybe he's figured us out already. Um, yeah. Great story. All right, we're running out of time. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I do have uh, w- one more thing I want to mention, and I, I would think that you know this, but uh, many of our listeners may not know this. And this is just such a cool stat that I found. So in 1996, you batted 361 for the Phillies, um, which is a remarkable season. 361. I mean, we may not see that again for another decade right now. You were 37 years old at the time. There are only three other players in Major League Baseball history that age 37 or older hit higher than 360 do, do you know this stat do you know who those three are i i do not know that i think there's one though that i might know well you want to take a guess was, was he a former philly uh no 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 former no. philly so it, it's a remarkable list let me tell tony you gwynn? <clears throat> tony gwynn is one rod Curry. Barry bonds is no. two really and ted williams is oh, three. yeah and ted I didn't know play. that <laughs> well i mean but this is in the history of baseball and, and Jim Eisenreich is the fourth on that list. And that's it. Um, I think that's just awesome. Uh, I know you don't play the game for those kinds of things, but to be linked with Williams and Gwynn and bonds, three of the greatest hitters ever to play the game. That's kind of cool, right? It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to get a big head. It's big enough. You know? <laughs> Jim, I don't think that's possible. I really feel yeah. like I wanted to pet you on the back for that one. Um, yeah. well, it, it's really great. Uh, all right. So before I let you go, um, nowadays, um, you're obviously retired and living in, in Kansas City and doing great work with the Jim Eisenreich Foundation. Um, mm-hmm. Talk a, a little bit quickly about uh, what you guys uh, do and what the mission is and how rewarding that must be for you um knowing your path and 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 everything that that you overcame to to be the ball player that you were well we we the the intention there was to help kids and families that are dealing with Tourette now you know just just and we started the foundation as a formality back in 96 now I've always talked to kids and all that and so the goal of our of our foundation is we 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 say success for every kid with Tourette. Um, all we do is really provide awareness, and and in some ways we give them hope that it's going to be okay. And I use myself as an example that you can be whatever you want to be. Um, more so now, we're we're trying to be a resource to get parents the answers to their questions about what to do. 
you know, and so we're not, we're not a research, we know we're not medical. Um, there's other groups that do that and that's fine. Um, I personally want the kids to be able to go to go to school and have a good day at school. Yeah. You know, that's so, so that's what we do. Um, the COVID years now have kind of set things back because we can't get into and, and talk to them, but I've done a couple of zoom calls and, um, I've have recently gotten back into classrooms or, or areas where I can meet with groups and, and talk. And that's really all we do. I tell them my story, you know, and, and it's hard to believe for the young kids now, because now I'm an old gray beard guy and, you know, they don't even I mean you played. So I got to show the video of our Phillies and, you know, and, and, and yeah, that was me <laughs> and that, you know, a long time ago. So that's kind of what we do. And, um, just trying to create awareness and, and hold another generation of families is coming in wanting answers to those questions. And so we're here to hopefully answer those. Well, thank goodness that you are. It's a, it's an incredible resource and probably, um, resonates more than you'll ever know with some of those young kids who are, are just now learning that, that this is going to be part of who they are and then how mm -hmm. they can navigate it going forward. Um, I mean, you're, you're, terrific example of of exactly how to handle it and uh and we're we're very glad that you're able to share your stories with us and and uh we really appreciate it jim oh it's always good to talk to you um Thank we you. probably could do this for another hour but i'm not gonna do <laughs> that to you, so <laughs> yep, probably <laughs> yeah uh jim eisenreich yeah. joining us here on glove stories with murph uh Thanks so much. A, a terrific career. You brought so much joy to the city of Philadelphia, you and your teammates. And I know you know that. And we look forward to getting you back here to Philadelphia at some point this season, I'm sure. Uh, we'll see you here, here in Philly. And uh, and we'll talk then, okay? That sounds great. Thank you, Greg. All right. Appreciate All right. it. Jim Eisenreich joining us. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, Charlie Manuel, Larry Boa, stop by on the podcast. So stay with us. The all-new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app is here for both Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Get in on all the action, whether it's baseball, the basketball and hockey playoffs, golf, all your favorite sports. Download the all-new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app and make your first bet risk-free up to $750. Bet more than the score. Bet on individual player performances for hits, home runs, and strikeouts. Bet innings, first team to score, and more. Bet Parks is the only sportsbook and casino app that I recommend. The Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, where odds, bets, slots, and games all come together in perfect harmony right in your pocket. Sportsbook and all your favorite casino games for real money, all in one amazing app. Live in-game betting lets you bet while you watch the game. Download right now in the App Store, Google Play Store, or at BetParks.com and use my promo code MURPH. Bet Parks is also an official proud betting operator of the PGA Tour. The all-new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. You must be 21 and in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to This Week in Philly Baseball History, presented by Shy Vintage Sports. This week in 1939... Shy Park hosted its first night game featuring National League clubs. Philadelphia's Hirsch Martin notched two hits in a 5-2 loss against Pittsburgh. Baseball's first ever night game was held in 1935 when Cincinnati hosted Philadelphia. Celebrate Philly sports history with a unique Father's Day gift from Shibe Vintage Sports. Visit them at 13th and Walnut Streets or ShibeSports.com. Phillies Nation is your source for breaking news, original analysis, trade insights, and more. Read today's articles at philliesnation.com. Welcome back to Glove Stories with Murph, brought to you by the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, Shy Vintage Sports, and Phillies Nation. We thank them for being a part of Glove Stories, and we welcome in Charlie Manuel and Larry Boa, as we do every week. And guys, we're talking playmakers this week, guys that uh, always seem to be right in the middle of things. And as a manager or coach or a teammate, are the guys that, uh, you know, can turn things on a dime when you need something to happen. Those are generally the guys that make things happen. You know, baseball is such an individual sport at times, and sometimes you just need a guy to say, hey, put it on my shoulders and I'll take care of it. Uh, Bo, let me start with you. Uh, is there a guy from your playing days, your coaching days, that, that stands out for you? Well, uh, obviously managing, especially my very first year managing in San Diego. You know, I only managed one year in AAA, and they gave me that job. And 
uh, the one guy, and, and you know, everyone's going to say, oh, that's easy to predict that. But Tony Gwynn was a great, I'm talking about a great hitter, a great teammate, great in the clubhouse. And, you know, when you get a job like that, you know he's good. And then we get to watch him every single day. You go, oh, my God, this guy is really special. He stands out. Jimmy Rollins stands out for me because I took over in 2001. Uh, I could see that he was going to be uh, one of those guys that wasn't afraid to voice his opinion, played the game very hard, came up in big spots all the time, wasn't afraid of the big moment. Right. Uh, I got a whole bunch of them, really. Uh, Tommy, Tommy, we got Tommy in, in a, in a, as a free agent. Uh, he's a guy that in the eighth or ninth inning, you want him up there. You're down a run or two, a couple of guys on. And like I said, I, uh, Derek Jeter, I was a coach for the, for right. the, uh, the Yankees, those four guys, the guys like that, they're not afraid of the moment, Murph. They want to be up there. And I asked Jeter one time, I said, how come you're so successful at this? He says, because I'm not afraid to fail. And if I do fail, I'm not afraid to turn the page and say, Hey, I hope I come up next tomorrow night in the same situation. And when you get guys like that, that aren't afraid to fail in key situations, you have something special in my mind. No doubt about it. I mean, that's not just true in baseball. Yeah, that kind of mentality will serve you pretty well in life as well. But, no uh, but yeah. And, and, you know, watching Derek Jeter from afar, uh, that's exactly how he appeared to us as fans. You know, a guy that was ready for the moment, wanted the moment, and ready to do it again the next day, for sure. Charlie, I, I know you've been around some some great, great players in your career and in your, in your playing days and your coaching days. What about you? Uh, playmakers for you that you just uh, kind of sat back and weren't all? Yeah, you know, uh, when uh, uh, Bo, Bo talk, I, I agree with everything you said about Jimmy Rollins uh, because of Jimmy's talent, his speed, his switch hit, his switch hitter. He was a he was a prototype kind of player, and he was energy. You know, like he bought life energy. Everything he did was kind of that way. And uh, I thought you'd think Bo hit right on him. They're sluggers like Tommy Howard in in uh, situations. If you go back and look at his career uh, from the seventh inning on, uh, uh, how he hit and things like that in big moments. I remember, uh, if you go back and look at Brian Howard's pinch hit numbers, they were absolutely amazing because he hit it. He would hit a homer or extra base hits. And uh, on days that he was sick, I'd still use him. And he made some big, got some big hits for us. But when I'm thinking about the kind of player that you're saying, uh, or I want to talk about, I think comes up in my mind first, Kirby Puckett. Wow. Good one. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Energy. Energy, live, uh, bubbly kind of guy. He made it, uh, always kept, clubhouse bench was always electrifying when he's around. He always had a big smile and a hustle. He ran every ball out and he had power and he was uh, fun to watch play in the outfield, run, run the ball down and stuff like that. And then his hitting, of course, he, you know, like he could definitely come up with big hits. Then, then my second guy, when I, I really get down to it, at one time I thought Ricky Henderson mm. did as much in baseball as anybody possibly could do. He's the guy that always got it started. He was always in on on rallies in the game. Also, he could run the ball down in the outfield, and of course, you know, like he could uh, he could get in scoring position real easy. And you know, like, uh, but anything, all I think. The players, when he's talented and he's he shows uh, the fast guys, speed don't go in the slump. I've heard both say that a lot. And speed don't go in the slump because he puts pressure on the other team in defense or offense and things like that. And I, and when you look at players like that and, and when, like, Ricky Henderson could, hit, could still hit homers and things like that, Puckett's the same way, you know, yep. like those are guys control control the game. But at the same time, big hitters who, who – who hit in the clutch or big moments of the game that speaks for itself. And, you know, like they're not uh, very hard to find if you, if, you know, like if you pull out the record books and things like that, but uh, the complete players is guys like, for me, it's like a pucket or Ricky Henderson, Jimmy Rollins, uh, Kenny Lofton was a, uh, a flyer. He didn't have as much uh, power, uh, although he could hit the home run as th those other guys, but now he, he was electrifying player.
Yeah, another uh, good issue road. I mean, you like you can go back and you can keep naming players that definitely play a part on setting the table and also can win the game for you. Yeah. You know, Murph, I, I think the one thing that Charlie, the names he mentioned and the names I mentioned as a manager, as a coach, if those guys were 0 for 10 and they came up in crucial situations, sometimes guys with you as a manager coach, say, God, I wish somebody else was hitting, but all those guys that we mentioned, I'll take my chances with them if they're 0 for 10, 0 for 12, because they had a way of rising to the occasion and putting the previous at bats behind them. And they give you what they had in the eighth or ninth inning. And, and those guys are special, believe me. And the guys that we both named, all of them were very special. Yeah. Uh, Pete Rose, I'd put him on that list. The guy. Oh, uh, no question. Yeah, he goes on there. Hey, Murph, he goes on my list. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, what about anyone with the glove? I mean, I, the first one that comes to mind, I guess, is Ozzie Smith, who could, you know, change a game right. with his glove. Anybody else that you think that, uh, you know, in a moment, everybody's thinking, all right, you know, if it, if the ball's hit to this guy, we're in good shape kind of thing? Well, when I played, uh, Keith Hernandez, to me, at first base was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, not only just catching the ground ball, but fielding bunts, not afraid to throw to the second base, charging on a bunt play or third base on a bunt play. Uh, people don't understand. You know, you see a lot of people in baseball say, oh, throw this guy over at first base. Little do they know, besides the catcher, the first baseman handles the ball more than anybody. And you got a guy over there that can catch the ball, short hops and everything like that, save infielders from errors. He, he can he can make a difference defensively as well as offensively, but he stands out for me. And another guy that when I played or managed, I should say, was Mark Grace. Th oh. Those guys uh, that play first base and can do, do it on both sides of the ball, they're very special, believe me. Yeah. Hey, Charlie, the guy uh, on the screen with us, Larry Ball, he could pick it too in the big moments, right? Yeah. 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 He could be. He could pick it. Hey, definitely. Hey, he goes in there. Hey, Murph, uh, uh, I liked, uh, uh, I think Brooks Robinson uh, yeah. playing, playing third base and the way he did it. I think it, uh, you know, like uh, earlier in his career, you know, like he, he wasn't known as such a, a, a great hitter or nothing like that. And I think his defense actually helped. As his offense improved, his defense really uh, uh, helped him become, a, you know, like a uh, more known uh, uh, player as a as a star player. I think it. Uh, I, I think sometime when you see uh, look and you see in Smitty, uh, uh, Bo can tell you about his defense. He was a prototype yeah. third baseman, and you know, like those guys, you know, like they're very consistent, but at the same time, they make the they can make big plays in big moments. And, uh, and like he said, it's, it's all, it's all about just re relaxing and, and, and can handle that moment. And, uh, those are the players that uh, stand out and usually those are energy players. Yeah. Energy players. Right. Oh, you want the last word on that? Well, Schmitty was, <laughs> I got to play alongside this guy my whole career. And, uh, you talk about making my job easier. I mean, he could go to his left better than anybody I've ever seen. I didn't get a chance to see Brooks. He was in the American League, but I saw a video of him. Those two guys were the best in their respective, uh, one in the American, one in the National League. But when you get a guy like Schmitty, for me, that means I can move towards the middle of the diamond a little bit. People don't understand that when you have a third baseman that can go left and right, it makes everybody's job so much easier. And I, got, I had the luxury of watching this guy do it my whole career. And when they say the greatest third baseman of all time here, uh, I tip my hat because he is again, Brooks taking nothing from Brooks. I never got to see him. I saw enough video saying this guy's special, but, uh, uh, Schmitty was really special. Yeah. Mike yeah. gets the nod for sure. Absolutely. Hey, uh, yeah. hey, yeah. Go ahead, Charlie. hey, hey Murph, I'll give, uh, I'll give, uh, Bo some kudos. You know, he goes in there with, uh, uh, the guy, you know, like at, uh, like Jimmy Rollins and, uh, Bo Omar Vizquel and guys like that. They could always come up with a big plays, but at yep. the same time, it came because they were so consistent. And and when they needed it, uh, uh, you would see them make the big plays, and you took them. If you weren't careful, you take them for granted that they're supposed to catch everything, because yeah. that's you know, like and basically that's kind of what happens in the game. You know, like in big moments, they catch. You know, like they handle the ball, and uh, and and uh, guys like Bo and those guys. You know, like uh, not only do they have the ball in a big moment, but they're very consistent on 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 all the, all the plays in the game. 
Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's that's why they become real good defensive players. Yeah, take them for granted, but I think that's a compliment, right? You know, exactly. uh, we just expect it. We just expect that is a compliment. Yeah, <laughs> not about it. All right, guys, uh, playmakers, you can't win without them. You need a couple of those guys uh, on your team. And uh, we certainly uh, listed a couple of good ones. Uh, all right, guys, we'll see you next week. Another topic. And we'll uh, debate that coming up next week. Thanks. Welcome to This Week in Philly Baseball History, presented by Shy Vintage Sports. This week in 1939. Shy Park hosted its first night game featuring National League clubs. Philadelphia's Hirsch Martin notched two hits in a 5-2 loss against Pittsburgh. Baseball's first ever night game was held in 1935 when Cincinnati hosted Philadelphia. Celebrate Philly sports history with a unique Father's Day gift from Shy Vintage Sports. Visit them at 13th and Walnut Streets or ShibeSports.com. The all-new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app is here for both Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Get in on all the action, whether it's baseball, the basketball and hockey playoffs, golf, all your favorite sports. Download the all-new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app and make your first bet risk-free up to $750. Bet more than the score. Bet on individual player performances for hits, home runs, and strikeouts. Bet innings, first team to score, and more. Bet Parks is the only sportsbook and casino app that I recommend. The Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, where odds, bets, slots, and games all come together in perfect harmony right in your pocket. Sportsbook and all your favorite casino games for real money, all in one amazing app. Live in-game betting lets you bet while you watch the game. Download right now in the App Store, Google Play Store, or at BetParks.com and use my promo code MURF. Bet Parks is also an official proud betting operator of the PGA Tour. The all-new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app. You must be 21 and in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Phillies Nation is your source for breaking news, original analysis, trade insights, and more. Read today's articles at philliesnation.com. Glove Stories with Murph is sponsored by the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, along with Shine Vintage Sports and Phillies Nation, and is a presentation of SBC Media Partners. The engineer for Glove Stories is Chad Evans. Cindy Webster is our marketing and guest relations director, and our executive producer is Roger Haddon. Whether you are watching us on YouTube or downloading the podcast from one of the major podcast providers like Apple, Google, or Spotify, make sure to hit like and subscribe so that we can let you know when a new episode of Glove Stories is available. We'll release new episodes weekly throughout the 2022 Major League Baseball season.